Well, good morning again, church. Oh, we got one good morning. Very good. This must be a really great morning. Um, I'm Eric. Again, if you weren't here earlier, I'm really glad to have you with us at Highland this morning. I want to want to welcome you. I want to say thanks to our praise team and Brescian for leading us in worship this morning. It's been excellent. Uh, we got a, uh, a really neat thing happening at the end of service. Randy McPherson's going to pray over all teachers and students and administrators who are starting back up at school. And this is part of our 24 hours of prayer that are going on right now. Okay, so if you want to be a part of that, I think there's still some slots open. You can sign up online on our website. We're in Romans 9 through 11 today. We're continuing our series out of Romans. We're going to finish that up in the next couple of weeks. I want you to know that Randy Harris who's a professor from Abilene Christian University. You've probably heard Randy before. He's gonna come next week and preach to us. We're gonna take a break from the Roman series. He's gonna preach out of John. It's gonna be really, really good. You won't wanna miss that next week. And in fact, you know, most people skip on the weeks I'm preaching, but this is the week to be here and bring a friend, right? Because it's gonna be really good. I hope you'll be there for that. We're selling his book that week. It'll be 10 bucks. It's a book on John called Daring Faith. And then also before we get going, I just... I feel like it wouldn't be fair to just get going without commenting on the last couple of weeks that we've had. I mean, this is on everybody's mind, the stuff in Charlottesville and the stuff in Barcelona just a few days ago. At the root of both those is hate. At the root of hate is sin, all right? And so we wanna be praying about this as a community. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray to get us going here in a second. I will say that the conversation about race in America today is a conversation that this church is having. One of the ways we're having that conversation is in a class called Race and the Cross, which we offer twice a year. And we were gonna offer that again in January, but several people have asked me when we're gonna do it and if we could move it up. And so we're going to, we're gonna move that class up to October. There's been about 60 Highlanders. So somebody sitting beside you has already taken that class. And I really think for most of them, it's been a powerful experience. And if, you're, if you just wanna understand this stuff better, if you just feel like, I don't quite get it, then I think this would be a good class for you to take. So put that on your radar, that's coming up in October. There'll be more info about that coming up. But let's, let's start by praying. God, you are a good God and you are loving and just and merciful. We rejoice in that, God. God, we know that we are slaves to sin except for your righteousness. And we pray for a world that is still in bondage to sin. And God, we pray that you would liberate them by the power of your Holy Spirit and by the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. We beg that, God. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So one of the great things about being a preacher's kid, which I am, is that your whole life growing up revolves around church. I mean, so many of my firsts happened at church. I first learned to swim in the church baptistry. Right? <laughs> I broke my first bone, my nose, on a church pew, right? three years old. My first kiss, no, that was on a dinosaur field trip <laughs> when I was 23. And, uh, <clears throat> but most of my firsts, happened at church. And I love that my boys are getting the same experience. Their whole life revolves around church and church people. The other day, one of our very dignified and esteemed elders picked up my three-year-old Noble in his arms. And when he did, Noble looked up at him and he said, why do you have so many boogers in your nose? 
I'll let you guess which elder that was. I love that my boys are surrounded by church people. It was great for me growing up. Everybody in my life was a church person, except for my neighbor, except for my neighbor and his mom, Mrs. Green. I mean, I spent hours almost every day at Mrs. Green's house and she was the sweetest. We'd swim in her pool. She'd make us PB&Js and she'd scoop us ice cream afterward. She'd, she'd give us buzz haircuts in the summer and let us watch Top Gun on replay all day long. She was the best. And because of that, I remember really vividly the day it occurred to me Miss Green doesn't go to church because our family every Sunday morning would load up in the station wagon to go hear dad preach Sunday morning and their cars would be in the same place when we left and when we came back. And I suppose it had always been this way, but, but one day I noticed and I asked my mom about it. Why doesn't Miss Green go to church? And she said, well, Miss Green's not a Christian. And I remember the weight of that just kind of washing over me the next few days. Miss Green is not a Christian. What does that mean? And so I just braided my dad with questions about what's gonna happen to Miss Green when she dies. I mean, dad, she's like the nicest lady ever. I mean, surely God's gonna save her, right? And dad would just kind of shrug his shoulders and say, well, I hope so, son. I hope so. And I would just weep at night thinking that Miss Green might not be in heaven. I mean, would heaven be heaven if there weren't PB&Js and ice cream and Top Gun? I've been having problems with a light switch in my house. My house is over 60 years old, so um, it's, it's difficult. Um, if, if you know anyone over 60, just imagine them in house form and you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, electrical starts misfiring, plumbing problems, especially at nighttime, <laughs> landscaping issues, like with that elder in the boogers, right? You know? This is what my house is having all those problems, especially electrical right now. So the other day, this light switch in our bathroom just stops working. And so I figure I can, I can fix this myself. I go to Home Depot, pick up a new switch, and I'm, I'm no rookie, right? I know the first thing to do is to turn off the breaker. So of course it takes me about three trips to turn off the right breaker. And at this point I've got to reset all the clocks in our house. But finally, you know, I get the right breaker. <clears throat> I work on it for a while. It takes me longer than I'd like for it to take. I finally get it installed, get it back in there and flip the switch and things are still difficult, right? Still not working. So I called Jimmy Welch. Jimmy's a Highlander, a handyman. I call him up and I ask him to explain what's going on, but Jimmy's not making any sense. So I hang up on Jimmy. <laughs> and I go back to Home Depot for the second time that day, and then a third time, and then a fourth time. Is this how your Saturdays go too? A fifth time, it's still not working. Finally, exasperated, I just call Jimmy and I say, you're gonna have to come over here and fix this. And so he does, he comes over the next day and I say, hey, you want me to go turn off the breaker? And he's like, no, that's for rookies. <laughs> and then he takes about 36 seconds and he fixes it. 
<clears throat> okay. Romans 9 through 11 reminds me of Jimmy Welch and my light switch problem, okay? Because Romans 9 through 11 is this complex old problem that I have spent hours on trying to understand that the best scholars in the world disagree about. And ultimately God's gonna show up in the end and do what God was always gonna do, whether we knew it or not, right? Whether I explained it well enough this morning or not, God's still gonna do his thing. So, so to clarify in this analogy, Jimmy Welch is God, which he's gonna love, right? <clears throat> Okay, Romans 9 through 11. If you've read Romans, you know that 9 through 11 is, is, is the trickiest part of the book because it's dealing with what's going to happen to Israel. <clears throat> Our Jewish brothers and sisters, are they going to be saved? Because God has made some really big promises to Israel. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Promises to Noah, to Abraham, Isaac. David, a lot of big promises. But of course, most Jews today, just like most Jews in Paul's time, don't think Jesus has anything to do with those promises. I was at a meeting of area clergy in Memphis a couple weeks ago, and this, this Jewish priest was there and he said in front of everyone to a Christian clergy who were talking about Jesus and our reasons for doing something he said I'm very happy for you to say whatever you'd like to about a nice Jewish boy from Bethlehem a nice Jewish boy from Bethlehem so are they going to be saved that's the question because if not it raises a bunch of other questions about God questions which Paul talks about, like in chapter nine, is God unjust then? Okay, why does God still blame us, Israel, for who's able to resist his will? Did God reject his people, Israel? Did they, Israel, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? And then Paul spends three chapters trying to answer those questions. And do you know what he says? I mean, I'm, I'm asking because I don't know. I mean, it is, it is really complicated. In fact, Paul gets to the end of these three chapters and I think he himself just kind of shrugs his shoulders and he says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. I mean, who has known the mind of the Lord, he says. <clears throat> so it is really difficult, but here's what I think Paul's saying here? I think he is saying God can do what God wants to do. God can save who God wants to save. God can justify who God wants to justify. After all, God is God. He can certainly do that. But Israel, Jews, you are special to God. In fact, you're so special that every time you have been exiled from God in the past, which has happened many times, God has made a way for you to come back home. And this is time right now is no different. God has made a way for you to come back home. And as it happens, that way is the same way that everybody gets to come home. And that way is Jesus. Jesus is your way home. 
fact, he says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so if I were preaching at this moment to a, to a group of Jews, right? This is the point at which I'd, I'd try to make some clever joke to cut the tension, and then I would really hammer this point home. God may choose to save you by some other way, but I know he will save you if you choose the Jesus way. Okay. Okay. Just like I know he will justify and sanctify and glorify any of you Gentiles in this room this morning who choose the Jesus way. Okay, who are baptized, as he says in Romans 6, and who declare, as he says in Romans 8, that Jesus is Lord and that he was raised from the dead by our glorious Father. If you do that, if you choose the Jesus way, you will be saved. But I'm not preaching to Jews this morning, right? You know, they haven't invited me over yet, which I just can't seem to explain. But a sermon about the future of Jews to a bunch of Gentiles by a Gentile who bless his heart, as we say here in the South, just doesn't know, isn't going to be much of a sermon. So part two of this sermon, there is this other sermon I could preach, and that's a sermon about Paul. And really it's a sermon about you and me. And that sermon starts with the question, why not why paul do you think it's important to explain theologically what's going to happen to israel but why do you care so much paul and why do you care because you cannot accuse paul of not caring look what he says in the start of this romans 9 he says i speak the truth in christ i am not lying my conscience confirms it through the holy spirit i have great sorrow in unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people Israel those of my own race the people of Israel theirs is the adoption to sonship theirs the divine glory the covenants the receiving of the law the temple worship and the promises theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah who is God over all forever praised amen and then he says in Romans 10 brothers and sisters my heart's desire my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved A few months ago, I got to travel with Jimmy Adkins, one of our shepherds, and Larry McKenzie, another one of our ministers, to Papua New Guinea, which is about as far away as you can go. And we went to visit the Melanesian Bible College, which you all have very generously supported for years and years. It is a school that trains preachers to travel all over this mountainous island, taking the gospel to the furthest reaches of that place. It's really powerful. And we support missionaries there, Jab and Becky Mesa, who are from Papua New Guinea, and who direct the Melanesian Bible College. So while we were there, there was this one moment where we asked Jab when Becky was out of the room, just how Becky was doing. She's had some health setbacks recently and the life of a missionary is a really lonely life. And so we had talked with her, but we wanted to talk with Jab just to see what his impressions were about how she was doing. 
I'll never forget what he said because it's a really remarkable thing to say about your wife. I took notes about it. He said, Becky is an extraordinary woman. And he said, let me tell you a story. He said, a couple months ago, Becky just became overcome with grief. And what was grieving her so badly is that her village, which is on a smaller island off the coast of Papua New Guinea, that many of those people in that village, this village that raised her and made her who she was, that many of those people, her family, had not accepted Jesus. And, and the weight of that just washed over her, right? And it was keeping her awake at night, she said. She would just lay there tossing and turning beside me all night long, getting up early in the morning, just overcome because these people who she loved and who loved her hadn't accepted Jesus. So it was the middle of the school year and Jab couldn't get away from school, but she was so overcome by this that she gets in this little fishing boat and on her own travels back to this island, which is across a significant amount of ocean and begins a gospel meeting there, Becky, on her own, right? For her home, her home village, her family. In the middle of this gospel meeting, one of her cousins goes into labor. She's a young lady, goes into labor with her first child. And Becky is... In addition to being a missionary, she is a mother and a grandmother. And if you know Becky, you know that's true. And so instantly she shifts gears. She becomes midwife for her cousin and this, this baby in her womb that's trying to come into this world. And they try to deliver this baby for hours. And Jab, when he's telling me this story at this point, he kind of paused and he said, but the baby was stuck. And so Becky, in desperation, she goes down the streets of this village begging for any of these fishermen with these little boats to take them across the ocean back to the mainland where there's a hospital. Finally, she finds one. They get in the boat in the middle of the night and they take off across the ocean. And then Jab says, they heard the worst sound you can imagine. And it was the engine sucking the last of the gas. And they're out there in the middle of the ocean. And so they're stranded there overnight in the middle of this ocean, just rocking back and forth with this mom and a baby, a breech baby trapped inside. And Becky held her hand till the end. So when you think about that, a thousand questions probably come to mind like they did for me. I mean, how, how do we still live in a world where a breech baby can kill? You know, as a parent of a breech child, that hits home. Okay, how do, we, how do we still live in a world, right, where there aren't hospitals closer by and you have to get in a fishing boat and travel miles across the ocean to get medical care? I mean, how do we still live in that world, right? How do we live in a world where a fisherman who has made a trip a thousand times does not load enough gas? How do we live in that world? But I think the right question and the question Jab pointed us to was, why was Becky there in the first place? He said she was there because she cared. And she cared for the souls of those people she loved. And in that way, she's a lot like Paul, right? Okay, because for us, I think Israel may seem like, well, they're just another group of people in a world with a lot of people. 
And I may bump into them at the grocery store. Our kids may go to the same school, but I mean, they're just another group of people. But for Paul, I mean, this is his family, right? I mean, these are the people that he swam in their pool growing up and they scooped him ice cream and he watched Top Gun at their house. I mean, these are the people he loves. And the thought of those people being eternally separated from God is more than Paul can stand. It gives him this great sorrow, he says, this unceasing anguish. He says his heart's desire, his prayer is that they'll be saved, okay? He is unable to accept that these people will not get to come home. And he wants them to come home because he cares. You know, when I don't get caught up in these three chapters and trying to decipher all the details about what's gonna happen to Israel. And that's a, a worthwhile project. But when instead I pay attention to the man who is trying to explain all those details, what is obvious is that this guy really cares for those who might not be saved. Which leads obviously to this question, do I care like that? Do I care for those people? And you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about the waitress at the restaurant at lunch when you leave here, you know, she asks, what do you want to drink? And you say, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going? I, I would just order a Coke or something, right? You know, like that's maybe not the best approach. But what about, not those strangers to us, what if we just started with the people we love? Our family, our close friends. I'd be willing to bet that most of you in this room, like me, have someone in your family who is as sweet as they can be, but who does not say, Jesus is my Lord. For some of you, it's an uncle, a brother, a sister, a parent. For many of you, as I look out in this room, it's your children, right? And I, I think it's, it's tempting to say, well, you know, they're a free spirit, my free spirit child. And, you know, they're just kind of exploring life. I mean, but do you care enough to say, Jesus is the way for you to come home? You're, you're gonna look out there and there is no way like the Jesus way Listen to how Paul describes the Jews here, because I think it's really tempting to, to kind of convince ourselves this is a Jewish problem. Uh, but listen to how he describes them. He says, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Let me, let me break that down into three really easy points here. Point one, they did not know God's righteousness. So two, they tried to establish their own righteousness. So three, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. So has a better description of the world we live in ever been written? I mean, isn't this what everybody's suffering from? Not just Israel, they don't know God's righteousness. So they try to create their own righteousness. And because of that, they don't end up submitting to God's righteousness. I mean, isn't this the problem that everybody's dealing with? Right, and, and so it's, it would seem that the greatest virtue in our time is to respect other people's righteousness, what they've determined is righteous even if it's something as vile as white supremacy, right? Well, we gotta respect that, okay? What if we're not talking about them? 
What if we're not talking about the unsuspecting waitress and we're talking about our family member and we say, well, you know, I love them and bless their heart. They haven't figured it all out yet, but I respect the journey that they're going down, right? I'm all for respect. Generally, except with my comment about 60 year olds, I am really respectful, (laughs) right? Right, but is it possible? I mean, just think about this. Is it possible that our increasing respect is due to our decreasing concern? I mean, do we respect more because we care less? I don't know. To me, that raises this question. Do do I care enough to say, Jesus is actually the way home? Paul did. And you may remember, you know, or you may be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not Paul. He's, you know, the greatest evangelist of all time. That's not me. I don't know how to do this. It's kind of overwhelming. Well, well, Paul speaks to that. He says, the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? It says the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the message concerning faith we proclaim. That's, that's kind of complicated. It strikes us as a little bit confusing. So to make sense of that, how many of you know Dr. Bubba Edwards here? He's a, he's a Highland pediatrician, right? Some of you send your kids there. Dr. Bubba has this amazing gift of being able to look into your ear and find a lollipop there, right? You didn't even know it was there. He looks in there and he just, he just grabs hold of it and there's a lollipop. When my kids see him, it doesn't matter if it's in church and we're praying, they'll run up and they'll tuck on his pants and they'll just point to their ears. And there's, there's something in there, right? Okay, that's what, that's what Paul's, that's what he's saying here. He said, you don't have to bring Christ back from the dead. You don't have to go into heaven and bring Christ down. God did those things. God did the hard work of the gospel and God has planted that seed of the gospel right there by that person. I mean, it is right around them and all they need is for somebody to just reach for it and take hold and show them God's righteousness, which has been there all along. You know, you don't have to swim across the ocean. You don't have to climb the tallest mountain. He says, it is right there. They just need somebody to take hold of it and to show them God's righteousness, which has been there all along, he says. But of course, to do that, you have to be willing to try. And to be willing to try, you have to care. There are some, even in our own families, our friends, who do not know God's righteousness. And they're going to be caught in this cycle of trying to create their own righteousness and not submitting to God's until somebody tells them otherwise. Until somebody reaches forward and grabs that good news, which is already so close. But you got to care enough to do it. So as I look out in this room, and a lot of your stories kind of come to mind, I know that most of you do care. Most of you do. You know, for most of you, that child of yours, that parent, that brother, sister, that friend who has not traveled down the Jesus way, they break your heart. They break your heart. And so what I want you to hear this morning is you are not the first 
and you won't be the last. But like Paul, don't give up. Because God has done and will keep doing the hard work if you will just keep caring enough to say Jesus is the way. I keep this little sticky note with this scripture on it from um, Romans here from chapter 10, which we're going to finish with today. And I want it to be an encouragement to those of you who care. This is the blessing I want to pour over you as we leave this place. This is Romans 10, 14 to 15. It's an encouragement to keep caring. He says, how then can they, these people who haven't accepted Jesus, how can they call on the one Jesus who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so today we wanna finish by standing and singing together. And I want you to know you are sent by our loving God to go and share this good news. If you wanna accept Jesus today, I'd love to receive you. Let's sing together right now. Live in our hearts, fill this body, stir our spirit.